trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there, and welcome to the show. I don't care if you're a longtime wrong thinker or a new listener. I'm really grateful that you clicked play, that you were listening live on uh, one of the many networks that, uh, that now carries the show, if you're catching it uh, in replay. On our Southern Utah stations like KYAH or KDXU, I appreciate. However, you're getting this. I'm glad you're part of the audience. I'm glad you're giving it a chance, at least you know long enough to listen. I have a topic today that I think you'll find interesting. I hope you'll find interesting because there are a lot of people out there who have opinions. Some of them strongly held opinions about the name Bundy. I'm sorry, I just I thought I heard heads explode in the distance, even as I said that, you know, and, and I'm not kidding when I tell you there was a time where uh, mentioning uh, particularly the name of Cliven Bundy, Ryan Bundy, Ammon Bundy would simply send people over the edge. And I'm not going to pretend that, well, and it's, you know, hard to understand. It's like you, nobody's ever heard of them before. It's not like they've ever been in the news. No, they've they've been in the news. And seven years ago today was when the Bundys really sprang into the public's consciousness. Now, i got to start out by acknowledging, I know there are a lot of people who have a visceral reaction. I mean, they, they legitimately feel hate whenever they hear anything about the Bundys. They're welfare cowboys, they're troublemakers, militia, you know, they're out there to overthrow the government. They're, they're so dangerous. I mean, I've heard, I've heard all of the official narrative of what dangerous, scary people they are. Unfortunately, I have this burden of knowledge that comes from from having known members of the Bundy family and having known the Bundy family itself for quite some time. And actually, what happened 14 years ago in Bunkerville, the standoff, and it was a legit standoff at one point, is so poorly misunderstood by most of the public so I want you to understand, if, if this is stuff you haven't heard before, I'm not telling you this to make you feel stupid. But I want you to consider that there is a great possibility if everything you know about the Bundy family came through mainstream media sources. There's a certain narrative that they have failed to, to fill in a lot of missing places. And I am going to try to fill in some of those places, particularly as it relates to what happened at Bundy Ranch seven years ago. But I'm also going to do it from the standpoint of someone who has been there, who knows them personally, who has stood at some of these key events throughout the last seven years. Enough that I can speak with eyewitness, you know, point of view. Nobody had to tell me what I know and what I understand about the Bundy family. Now, again, you don't have to agree with me, but I'm just telling you, I'm coming from a hand, a a position of firsthand knowledge. I am coming from a place where I've actually been there. I've actually gone to the source. And all I'm asking you to question is maybe some of the sources that have painted this amazing one dimensional cartoon of, you know, this militant rogue family that uh, flouts our laws and hates the public lands and and. 
I think you'll see what an incomplete picture has been provided. I'll let you decide what the motives are. I don't really care. All I know is there's a lot of untruth about what happened. And I'm going to do my best to clear some of that up on today's broadcast. I hope it's helpful. It's going to be controversial. Some people are going to, they're going to call me everything but a child of God. And that's okay. Because you know what? I've been there before. I've been barked at by bigger dogs than you. I'm still here. Everything's good. But this is a story that needs to be better understood. And I think it's actually becoming a story again because Ammon Bundy is is facing some very interesting legal jeopardy. And the, the state of Idaho is now actually focusing its need for submission. It's need to, they've got to bend him somehow. And so they've issued an arrest warrant. They want to deny him bond. You know what he did? He showed up uninvited, which, by the way, the public can do when the legislature is in session. He showed up to keep tabs on on the legislative work that was taking place. And they arrested him. I think he said he's had six different arrests since last August. I'm not going to dwell on that today. But just keep an ear, you know, kind of perked up and listening because you're you're probably going to be hearing more about this. I want to go back to the original problem that was being dealt with in April of 2014. But I want to give you some background about how it became a problem. So rather than start right there and there we were at Bundy Ranch, let's go back a little bit. And, and first, I want to just talk about the Bundy family themselves. That is a familiar name in this part of the American West. Right now, it's a name that uh, people associate to a long-standing cattle dispute with the Federal uh, Bureau of Land Management. Now, I, I need to disclose, I have personally known Ryan Bundy for many years. I'm talking 16 years or more. I know him as a good man. I know him as a friend. I'm not going to pretend to you that he's a perfect human being. None of us are, but he's a good man. If you were broken down alongside the road, he's the kind of guy who would stop and help you. Not, you know, drive by indifferently or worse, try to victimize you, you know, for being broken down. He'd give you the shirt off his back. That's how he is. You know what? His dad, Cliven, is the same way. These are guys who are acquainted with hard work. And they are also people who are willing to stand for liberty when very few other people are. Now, they're down-to-earth people. And this means they don't use big words to try to impress or couch their ideas in pseudo-intellectual language. They speak with simplicity. And that, to some people, makes them unsympathetic figures. But it would be really foolish if you mistook them for just uninformed troublemakers who don't understand government's proper limits. If you know the story of, of the history of that area where Cliven ranches, and yes, he is, he's ranching away. It's business as usual right now, something that nobody would have thought possible after what happened seven years ago. He's a guy who knows his rights, and he's the last of dozens of area ranchers who resisted being regulated out of existence by the Federal Bureau of Land Management. One by one. Every other cattleman in that area was forced to abandon their livelihood to an increasingly unreasonable bureaucracy. In fact, when you take away all the emotional, emotional posturing and all the misdirection, the core principle that was at stake back in 2014, and believe me, it's very much at stake today, is a very simple one. Either our federal government exists to protect and guarantee our rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, or 
It does not. Now, this enrages people who live to complicate things, who want to invent artificial rules that will strip away all the all the places where you can hide from some basic moral truth. But that is what was at stake. And it's not just the Bundy's property and liberty that were at stake that day. There were larger implications for every one of us. But the crazy thing is there are very few people who recognize why that's so. I found a quote from Leonard E. Reed that describes the weird light little blind spot that we have that seems to afflict our understanding of liberty. He said, most Americans are unaware of a decline in personal liberty, and the reason's obvious. The decline rarely takes the form of personal deprivations, but instead takes the form of unnoticed erosion. And thus we come to regard whatever state we're in as a normal condition. I mean, can you find any fault with that? That rings true to me. We get comfortable. We Sometimes I don't think we want to notice what's, what's going wrong, because if we did, there'd be an accompanying sense of responsibility. You know what I'm talking about. We've all felt it. It's, it's bystander syndrome. I want somebody else you know, to deal with it. Somebody better qualified, somebody braver, somebody stronger. Well, look around you. You know, it's very few people who want to do that. Especially if they don't have something personally at stake. Well, in this case, Clive and Bundy and his family did have something at stake. In fact, they knew something that many Americans don't yet know. They know what it's like to fight for your livelihood against a corrupted bureaucracy. Now, I'm not just throwing hyperbole out here. If you're not aware of the Wooten memo, you should see what one of its own employees, a whistleblower, had to say about some of the conduct of members of the Bureau of Land Management, specifically as that conduct was directed toward the Bundy family. I know we want to believe government's going to operate in our interest, and there are good people who work within government. But sometimes there are people who take advantage of a little bit of power, and they turn it to some very, very twisted ends. As you're going to hear when we continue with our discussion of what's ha- what happened with the Bundy family seven years ago and what has happened since. I'm going to spell out for you some of the things that the federal government did to the Bundy family, thinking we have every right to do this. Let's examine whether they did or not. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. So, yeah, I'm, I'm spelling out some of the events that happened at Bunkerville. Yes, at Bundy Ranch seven years ago. I know people have heard about it. I know they've heard... Portions of what happened there, I don't think there are that many people who actually understand or at least have a, have a more complete picture of, of the bigger picture. What was at stake? What set this all in motion? Um, again, I have the experience of being personal friends with the Bundy family, starting with Ryan for probably the last 16 years. I was well aware of what was going on with him and the BLM, although I have to admit, I really didn't understand the process. There were some there. It's, it can be complicated. So I don't want to just pretend it's just black and white. They had the white cowboy hats and the government had the black ones. I'm not trying to simplify it in that way, but just there are some things that have to be understood about 
land rights. And you, and you have to have some historical perspective. And one of the things you need to understand is that the law hasn't always been the complicated bureaucratic m- morass that it is today. But water and forage rights, as well as a host of other land use rights, are all based in the legal concept of beneficial use. And what this refers to is a right held by a person who has equitable title to real property, like the water or the grass, to utilize that real property, even if another person holds the legal title. And these are actual rights. Now, care to guess where they're recorded? Not at the federal level, but rather at the county level. The most basic, you know, official government, at least for most people. Even if you live in an unincorporated, you know, place, you know, out in in the sticks, you're still part of the county and you're still, you know, within its jurisdiction. And that's what the Bundy family had been doing for 130 years. They had been grazing that property and running their cattle on it, using the water, using the, um, the, the grasses and the forage. But most importantly, they had to develop that land and make improvements that benefited not just their cattle, but everything, every living creature. So they built, you know, ponds and water catchments and, and, and pipelines and ditches that would, would make sure that those resources were available, again, to all the wildlife. But here's the important part. They caused no harm. I know, there are environmentalists. Oh, those cattle, they ate everything. And I, I don't know how to tell you this, but animals generally will work in, in a very symbiotic relationship with, with nature. And we're not talking about this lush rainforest that was there before the Bundys started running their cattle. This is desert, and a massive amount of desert at that. So let's let's not pretend. Yes, a few hundred, a few thousand cattle destroyed this whole landscape. It hasn't. In fact, it benefited it in many ways. But we'll talk about that another time. Here's the question I have for you. Why would this federal agency be so intent on bringing the Bundys to heel? And it's because the nature of unaccountable power is to become progressively oppressive and dictatorial. Now, remember, these rights are legally enforceable rights that go back before the Bureau of Land Management ever existed. They go back before the various acts passed in the early 20th century that sought to consolidate more uh, federal government control over these lands. Those rights existed even if the federal government, you know, decided, well, we're going to start this program or we're going to start that program. They cannot negate those rights. They can't take away something that, uh, that was established before. But they tried to, and they, they didn't do it in a straightforward way. We're going to come push you down and take those rights, hand them over. It's much more subtle. You, you have to understand how bureaucracy works. Bureaucracy becomes progressively oppressive and dictatorial because it takes baby steps to assume control. So what, what started out as enforceable, and I mean legally enforceable rights to the grass and to the water as part of their grazing rights, suddenly was being converted into a privilege. You have to pay every year or apply for this permit, which we may give you or we may not, based on the fact that we're changing the rules as we go. Now, again, if you could make the case, well, you know, Clive and Bundy destroyed that land out there. Anybody who says that has clearly never been out there and looked around. That land looks destroyed, all right, but I mean, we're talking like it's, it is barren for the most part. People rarely go out there. 
But at the same time, there are natural resources. And actually, there is a surprising uh, there's a surprising amount of beauty and, and life to be found out there. But Clive and Bundy got tired of paying a bureaucracy, which was just asserting more and more control over him and, and clearly trying to put him out of business as he witnessed rancher after rancher in that area going out of business. They just couldn't comply with the costs and with the, the bureaucratic overhead that was being charged. It was all focused on finding ways to rein them in to where they could not do what they were doing. Rather than keep paying that money to the federal government, to the Bureau of Land Management, Cliven fired them. And this is where, where we have to remember, the government either works for us or it doesn't. And in this case, it was no longer working in his interest. In fact, it was trying to do everything it could to put him out of business. And if this, it's, it's not even above board. You have to ask yourself, what purpose is the BLM serving? I mean, is it protecting rights? Is it protecting property when it issues really complicated legal rules or proclamations looking to restrict public access to these public lands? And believe me, there is an army of bureaucrats in there that, that their job is to make sure it's complicated. Is the BLM serving the American people by making rules when nobody's looking? Do bureaucratic tools like controlled public hearings filled with statistical pseudo expertise serve the interests of the public or that of the system? You got to understand the, the money behind environmental lobbyists is immense. And politics loves to, to you know, divvy up the spoils. I'm just saying, it's, it's not like, uh, well, what motivation could they possibly have to, you know, to infringe on other people's livelihood and other people's rights? Well, you know, you buy the right politicians and money will buy influence from politicians. And I'd recommend take a look into what uh, the more rabid environmental movements and activism consists of. I'll tell you from firsthand experience, they are some of the most maniacally committed ideologues I've ever seen in my life. And, and I don't mean in a good way. I mean, like there's influence, there is power, there is money at stake, but it's about controlling people. I'm compulsion, just compulsion to the core. They don't care if they ruin people's lives. It's there's some truly evil stuff. Some of the worst human beings I've met were a part of that movement. And by the way, I don't, I'm not trying to smear everybody who cares about the environment as being one of those people. I think we all appreciate beauty. I was just in southern Utah over the weekend. A lot of beautiful uh, national parks, just gorgeous land, a lot of public land down there. And it remains one of the most beautiful places in the whole state. And we've got a lot of beautiful scenery here. So I'm grateful for those who want to preserve those things. I am not grateful for people who would use the system to try to destroy other people, either their livelihoods or their lives. And this is what was happening with the Bundys. Bureaucracies... Raise the question, shall the people govern themselves or be at the mercy of elitists and bureaucrats and activists in some far off district? And they're the ones making all the decisions for us. Who is the servant? Who is the master? I remember Michael Roseff writing, a bureaucracy can outlast a person and wear him down. Only a very unusual and heroic member of the public is willing to spend his or her life fighting these bureaucracies and rousing the public. So while I understand there are people who see Cliven Bundy as, uh, you know, he's just this selfish old rancher. I'm telling you, he's a man who understands what uh, what his rights are and what your rights are and was not willing to stand by and have them taken from him. Something I learned from the Bundys is that, 
your rights are only as good as your willingness to claim, use, and defend them. And that includes grazing rights such as the one he possesses. Now, we're at a really interesting stage of, uh, you know, the American culture, the the political scene, um, you know, the, the swing back into uh, authoritarian behavior. Well, it's not going very slow, is it, right? I mean, it's like snapping back like a rubber band. I think it's a pretty safe bet. The feds are going to want another run at the Bundy family. I want you to at least have some of the facts in mind that you haven't heard before so you can see what is taking place and you'll know for yourself. Hey, maybe it's time to stand with the unpopular folks. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Okay, welcome back. I'm talking today about uh, an event that took place seven years ago at the Bundy Ranch in Bunkerville, Nevada. And it's a story that I know it angers people. My goal here today is not to anger you, but I I really want to fill in some of the gaps that uh, you may not even have realized were missing from the story. Because most people's understanding starts and stops somewhere within the within the boundaries of, well, there are a bunch of angry ranchers who pointed guns at the government and won't pay their fair share. I think that pretty much covers the high points. But when you learn that the Bundys were under uh, this this slowly pressing down boot of a regulatory agency that can make up its own rules, which have the force of law, meaning if you go into court with the BLM and the judge says, well, according to the law, you know, the BLM, uh, you, you can't prevail in this case. The BLM has the power as a regulatory agency to rewrite the rules, go back to court, and the judge says, oh, yeah, now you can. I mean, it must be great, right? It's like uh, being able to rewrite the rules of whatever board game you're playing, you know, with on family night. But when it's being put to use to deny people of their livelihood, and again, people who have done no harm. They didn't take a dime from anybody. They put in hundreds of thousands of dollars in infrastructure improvements out there on that land. It wasn't a free ride. They worked for their their living. Now, did they prosper? Yes, they did. In fact, I think they did quite well. They're still simple, down-to-earth people, but they know their rights. And it's sad to see how many people just jumped on, you know, the immediate bandwagon. Well, if they're, if they're challenging the government, they must be wrong. Remember, the Bundys lawfully possessed water and forage rights for generations. And because they refused to apply and pay for a newly required government permit, the feds came in and said, well, then we're going to steal your cattle. And like all tyrants do, they did it under the color of law. That's what led to this. That's what brought us to the point where uh, the feds showed up, not with, you know, uh, a handful of cowboys and, you know, some uh, couple of rangers who were there to, you know, just make sure that everybody behaved themselves. No. They brought a 200-man militarized task force. And when I say militarized, I don't mean these guys were dropping out of Blackhawks. But I mean they traveled like a military convoy. All of their law enforcement vehicles, guys in, you know, uh, battle rattle and, and rifles. I mean, they came like they were prepared for infantry action. It was crazy. 
They traveled, you know, like they were driving through the streets of Mosul in Iraq, you know, breakneck speed, lights and sirens going. We don't laws. They're for you little people. We are powerful, important folks, and we have places to go. I mean, they set up a military type compound. I saw it with my own eyes. They put men on every high place with rifles. They shut down over 6,000 acres of land that had been open to the public. It's crazy. And look, I got to tell you, I, w- I didn't really understand the scope of what was going on. Ryan had kept me and, and some other friends in touch, of, of, in tune with what was going on and telling us, hey, they're coming after our cattle. But at the time, we didn't understand the gravity of just how hard the government was coming after them. When is the last time you heard of a militarized task force? I mean, this was like, we are going to go take down El Chapo kind of task force. They had the FBI hostage rescue team. No, I take it back. I don't think it was HRT. It was uh, it was one of their elite SWAT teams, though. Maybe it was HRT. They had They had some of the top FBI SWAT members. They had LAPD SWAT out there to to train their guys, to make sure that their guys were well rehearsed and could work together, understood the basics of what they, they needed to know. That's combat. Why would they need that? They were just coming to round up this cattle. When's the last time you heard of them sending out that kind of a, of a, of a contingent of law enforcement over a debt, an alleged debt? You owe us this money. Well, I'm not going to pay you. We're going to raise an army and come take it from you. I don't know. It just seems disproportionate. But that, again, nobody has to agree with me on that. And so they did. I mean, they, I, they literally surrounded the Bundy's house with observation posts, listening posts. They approached this as if they were going to do a military assault. Laser designators were being pointed at the Bundy's and their kids. They're at the ranch house. They had no idea where this was coming from. Recording devices set up cameras trained on them. Surveilling them. Like these guys were enemies. Now, here's the funny thing. There had actually been a threat assessment done. In fact, there had been multiple threat assessments done on the Bundys by the FBI. And, and it makes sense. You would do this. Before you go in and break up that biker gang, you want to have a pretty good idea of what are they armed with? What's their likelihood to resort to violence? What kind of training or skills might they have? You're wise to know what you're up against. So they ran the Bundys through this uh, threat assessment. How big of a threat could these people credibly pose? And you know what they came up with each time? The lowest possible threat designation. I actually heard it described, I think it was my friend Joe Carey who described it as, as, you know, you back him into a corner, you might get a punch in the nose. But instead, Dan Love, the agent in charge of the BLM, put together this task force, and I, I, I know I'm using the word militarized way too much, but they prepared it as if it was going to be some kind of military assault. Totally unnecessary. Totally done to provoke some form of violence. I remember being surprised at the number of militia people that were down there when I actually went to Bunkerville. I had to go and see for myself. A friend and I took uh, took the drive down there, <clears throat> excuse me, after I got off work one afternoon. And uh, 
I don't know how to describe this. And I, if you've ever been in a place where where something really crazily dramatic is going on or something very uh, important is going on, some, you can sense when there's something of historic importance. Sometimes it's a place where something very tragic has happened, too. But you could just feel the tension. And when we got down there, the, one of the first things we saw was we saw that great big compound. And it was a military-looking compound sitting off to the side of the freeway. And we got further on down, and as soon as we got off the freeway, we started seeing these signs. By order of the federal government, this land is closed. Every trail, every possible dirt track, any road that anybody could go on, closed to traffic. But that's not all. We were told that anybody who stopped and got out of their car and walked out onto that land was subject to being arrested. That's closed land. That'd be trespassing. And we'd actually seen earlier in the week, Dave Bundy, Beaten up, arrested, simply for videotaping these uh, these BLM workers and the, the contract cowboys who were there to take the Bundy's cattle. I know you can tell me how tactical it is. Well, we got to make sure they weren't gathering intel so the Bundy clan could mount a counterattack. He was just documenting somebody stealing his family's livelihood. But they they threatened them. They they took him into custody, and this was where it came out. And we saw the first pictures of. Why do they have marksmen and spotters up there on the hill pointing rifles at women and children who are simply observing this operation taking place? Now, again, if there was if there was a history of violence you could point to, I might be persuaded that, yeah, you know, um, they, they have to take these precautions, but they knew what they were dealing with. I don't know, but, you know, somebody asked Cliven, what are you willing to do in order to keep your cattle? And his answer was whatever it takes. Don't you think it says something about the mindset of those bureaucrats that the first interpretation, the only interpretation they could possibly impute into whatever it takes would be to mean he's going to murder people in cold blood if they come up against him. Now, look, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not even an armchair psychologist. So I just have to ask you, though, could that be some projection going on? Is that what they would do? Because it's what they almost did. So they sent this force in there. They they were they had tased Ammon and 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 you know roughed his aunt up and thrown her to the ground. When when the protesters started uh, noticing dump trucks full of stuff coming down out of the hills, they were concerned that perhaps the cattle were being killed and being trucked off. But no, no. Um, in addition to confiscating or or rustling the the Bundy's cattle, which was what the extent of the court order authorized. The BLM was sending in backhoes and tearing up the infrastructure, the water lines, tearing up the ponds, tearing up the tanks, and they were trucking out the wreckage of all this hundreds of thousands of dollars of infrastructure Cliven had put in over the last 40, 50 years. I'm a pretty open-minded guy, but I have a hard time seeing why that was necessary. When we come back... I'll wrap things up here and just tell you that, uh, you know, I know a lot of people feel that the uh, the most important thing that happened that day took place at the uh, overpass. I'm going to beg to differ, and I'm going to describe what happened in the years since. Some of you know the story. For those who don't, I'll fill in the blanks, and I'll have some great things in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Okay, welcome back to the show. Let's wrap this up here. Now, I, I don't want you to hate me. I don't want you to feel like I've sold you false premises here. Or I've sold you, uh, you know, a promise that I never fulfilled here. Um, I'm going to skip past the part of the uh, Bundy Ranch incident that, that most people think of, and that is the standoff at the overpass. It happened, and legitimately there were guns pointed back and forth at each other. And, and I'm just, all I'm going to say about that is by a miracle, and I don't use that word lightly, nobody lost their head, nobody pulled the trigger, and eventually the BLM was forced to back down and retreat. Now, their operation had been called off. It was done. But when they heard that Cliven had, had organized a group or had told the group, go and get the cattle. The BLM, they were in the process of getting ready to pull their people out of that compound where the cattle were being kept. But when they heard that supporters were coming, boy, they took up fighting positions. They, they joked. I mean, I've seen the footage. I've heard the radio traffic for myself of how they joked about who they were going to shoot first. You know, they, they, they were taking an aggressive stance, and this is where the militia members who came in support of those protesters who were going to get the cattle took up defensive positions. Yeah, it could have gone horribly wrong. That's not lost on me. But thankfully, it didn't. Now, I am going to say one thing about the, uh, the most important event that happened that morning was not their... Uh, happened that day was not uh, that afternoon at the overpass. It was that morning. And it had more to do with um, Ammon and Ryan and and some friends who were were there to to seek out some spiritual support. I wish there was more that I could tell you, but I will just tell you that uh, um, it was the Bundy's faith in God that got them through the next few years. And that's what I want to talk about next. I want to talk about what came after that. But it starts with a prayer that was offered there at the Bundy's home that morning prior to the rally that took place, prior to the speech that Cliven gave where he demanded that sh- the sheriff, you go gather up the guns from all those BLM people and you bring them here and deposit them right here so we can destroy those guns. And I mean, Cliven was righteously ticked off. And at the time... I was very worried that he was in the wrong for what he was doing. Having learned what I've learned, having again gone to the source, having sat through their trial, I'm convinced they handled that as best as it could have been handled. There is no perfect way. There's no way that it could have been done and everybody would have nodded their heads and said, Ah, yes, well played, old chap. Yes, we can all agree. That was just dandy. Their own government had sent... People after them, not just in an aggressive fashion, but a murderously aggressive fashion. And people showed up to defend them and very nearly nearly had to. Now, of course, the occupation of the Malheur Wildlife Refuge in defense of the Hammond family, who at the hands of the federal government were sitting in prison, perhaps unjustly. The first judge certainly thought so. Would not apply the full sentence. But again, another story for another time. And of course, following the Malheur wildlife uh, occupation, that's when the feds swooped in and rounded up the Bundys. I know they had been working on the case for some time. 
because a friend warned me that uh, his brother-in-law was supplying information, video, and photos to the feds as they were trying to identify every person involved in that uh, standoff at the overpass. By the way, I was not at the overpass. I want to make that clear. I left shortly after the rally that morning. Had I been at the overpass, I would not have been able to sit in the courtroom because every person who was there was listed as a potential witness and therefore could not be in the courtroom for their trial in late 2017. So the fate of the Bundy family was hanging in the balance. And it seemed like a slam dunk on the part of the federal government. If they didn't get them in Oregon, they were by gar going to get them in Nevada. And when you keep in mind that people who face charges in federal court are convicted 97.7% of the time. By the way, it's not that every one of them is guilty or that the prosecutors or investigators are are just that good. It's what you would expect. That's the kind of uh, success rate you would expect to find when you go up against a politically driven opponent who has virtually unlimited resources and time. And so often they'll offer a defendant a plea deal for a lower charge and a lighter sentence like they're being generous because if they take it to the jury and they lose, the sentence is going to be much worse. That's where they get that 97.7% conviction rate. That's pretty daunting. Now, again, I'm going to remind you, Bundy, when his cattle were eating forage on this vast, untamed desert landscape, I'm absolutely at a loss to explain how that victimized the American people in the slightest, particularly given the improvements and infrastructure that Cliven himself had put in there, not just to benefit his cattle, but every living thing. Only the U.S. government could maintain with a straight face, well, for those cattle to eat that grass without the bureaucrats being paid their fee, why, that's a crime. Well, it's a made-up crime. And the jury definitely saw through that. In the meantime, you know, when they tried to go in and and take Cliven's cattle before, they could not succeed because he simply wouldn't cooperate. He didn't attack them. He didn't threaten them. But Dan Love went in there with the purpose of setting the Bundys, you know, in their place. He gave the orders. These are his words. Kick them in their teeth. They were tasing. They were manhandling, pointing loaded firearms at innocent people, setting the stage for, for conflict. It's like someone wanted to provoke a deadly confrontation. And this all came out in court. The Wooten memo from a former BLM investigator confirmed what the Bundys had said all along. A second Wooten memo, which as far as I know is still sealed, could shed further light on what the BLM was up to. But right now the feds are keeping that under wraps. And when the Bundys reached out for help, Their fears of another Waco-style massacre at the hands of overly zealous federal agents were not unfounded. By the way, can I just point out, one of the agents who was part of and posed over the ashes of the Branch Davidians, like literally posed over pictures of their charred bodies, is being nominated to head up the ATF. That'll be interesting. The people who came to help the Bundys, by the way, are among the finest people I've ever met in my life. The people who answered that call were not madmen. They were not malcontents. They were American citizens who firsthand witnessed what out-of-control government can become. 
And the fact that they backed down an armed mob of government aggressors without firing a shot is as much a miracle as it is proof of, of the fact that, hands, that firearms in private hands are an effective check on tyranny. So why didn't the federal government make its case? I mean, come on, it should, it should be slam dunk. Were the people there? Did they point their guns? They definitely did. But when jurors heard what had been taking place, when the truth was allowed to come through, and by the way, the courts tried very, very hard, particularly in the first couple of uh, Vegas trials, they did not want to, to get the truth through. They wouldn't even, they would not let the defendants speak to anything that could explain their frame of mind, why they went there in the first place, why they did what they did. And the jurors recognized it for the tyranny that it was. I mean, it took, it took four long years for the truth to emerge from darkness, but when it did, it set the Bundys and others free. The Bundys put their faith in God. They said, God will deliver us. And look, whether you believe in God or not, I'm just going to tell you, I was there. I was in the courtroom. I saw it happen. I, b- I believe they are correct when they give the credit to God for delivering them. And again, you don't have to support the Bundys. You don't have to, to believe anything that I've told you. But I would ask you to consider it because I think this is an important part of the story that needs to be understood. Very few people other than those who were, were there and, and who have bothered to really look beyond the headlines would understand this or would know this. I've heard no clarifications from people who, you know, were more than eager to pile on, particularly I'm talking media figures. But the truth is what set the Bundys free. And I think it showed that the people who rushed to judgment or who just parroted the official narrative regarding the Bundys were mistaken. And it's okay to be mistaken. That's part of being human. What demonstrates character is admitting the error and then moving forward from it, not holding to it. This is The Brian Hyde Show.